0: Welcome to This Much I Learn, Marketing Week's monthly podcast in which we invite luminaries from marketing and beyond to impart their wisdom and perspective on marketing matters. My name is Russell Parsons, Editor-in-Chief at Marketing Week, and I am your host for this episode. My guest today is Sarah Barron, CMO at Domino's. Sarah is a marketer for almost 30 years, starting a career as a graduate at Boots before long stints at Cadbury, Costa reaching the position of Chief Growth Officer at Palata, before joining Domino's in the middle of pandemic. With so many years behind her at renowned marketing organizations, she's well positioned to assess some of the major changes in marketing, as well as qualifying to offer the running cry she did earlier this year when she declared that there's never been a better time to be a marketer. A rallying cry almost to current and future marketers, to be discussed in this podcast, along with other thoughts on the marketing world and reflections on our career to date. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah Barron.
1: Thanks very much, Russell. Delighted to be with you here today.
0: Great. Well, let's start with your assertion uh, that it's never been a better time to be a marketer. Why is that?
1: I genuinely believe there's never been a better time. And, and the reason for that for me is because the world is changing around us and has been doing so for the last couple of years now, a few years. And, and therefore being a marketeer is, is really fun. It's, it's, you know, you've got to look into a crystal ball and, 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 you know, try and understand what to do next without necessarily, you know, doing the things that you've been doing for the last 10 years, cause, cause they won't work anymore. You know, we had consumers during COVID really scared. They then came out and were super excited. They then went into a cost of living crisis and therefore, you know, you've got to look at the latest insight, the latest data you've got and, and and make sure that you're doing the right thing for that day. That feels like a really exciting world to work in for me.
0: I mean, I'm a great believer in that the role of marketing hasn't changed radically. I appreciate this is my perspective in that marketers are there to serve customers and to do so in a way that is profitable for their company but i am also affirm a firm of firm belief that of course everything around that context around that whether or not it be technological social or cultural does change and of course from a macroeconomic perspective it's proven very challenging for both companies and customers over the last few years is that part of your thinking when you are excited because you're right at the coalface, face, particularly in a business like Domino's, you're right at the call face of some of those changes.
1: I think that's absolutely right. So we are at the call face. And actually the, the one point I'd pick up in what you've just said there is that, you know, that the the world changed overnight from a digital perspective. And I mean it had been fast accelerating, but it really did change fundamentally. And I think, you know, it's incumbent upon brands like us that are effectively, we're an e commerce engine, you know, 90% of our sales go through online to, to make sure that that we really, really evolve um, our way of marketing versus the things that we may have been doing before. And, you know, we spend a lot of time, I talked about it again at Madfest, talking about the fact that, that we want to be the Netflix of pizza. You know, we don't want to be the, the blockbuster um carrying on doing the things that we were doing previously we have to evolve and that means uh, you know living in an era where consumers expect hyper personalization they expect things that are just absolutely right for them and, and not the guy next door and 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 therefore our whole approach uh, um as well as feeding off a different uh, you know things that are changing around us every day uh, has, has, has really evolved where we spend disproportionate amount of time now making sure that we're doing the right thing for that customer in that location who likes this kind of food because because I think that that that's where the competitive advantage will come from
0: I'm just going to park if I could uh, the discussion around Dominus because some of the things that you talked about there the role of personalization and some of the balance that you need to strike between uh, brand and performance and I'm sure, at uh dominoes i do want to get into but uh, i also just want to ask you to reflect a little bit more related to my opening question on uh marketing and the excitement that you quite obviously have for the opportunities today but ask you i mentioned in my introduction that you've uh you've been at this for a, a fair few years what are some of the big changes that you've seen in that time some of the major shifts if you think about what you did as a marketer back in your Boots or Cadbury days and what you do now what have been some of those big changes
1: i'd almost like to start with the thing that hasn't changed and the thing that hasn't changed is that the consumer has to be at the heart of everything you do and i think it's almost um, that, you know it, it, you could easily think that all the data now and everything and all of the technology we have means that that is no longer the case but fundamentally that's where you have to start and you have to start really truly getting under the skin of what they want what they need and how you can do that better than anybody else and and that's something I spend a lot of time talking to my teams about is despite everything else that we have uh, but that we didn't have when I started 30 years ago you know being in a house with a consumer in the moment where they're enjoying your product and understanding the whys and wherefores and how you emotionally connect with that moment through your communication is still as critical today as it was 30 years ago. The thing that has changed um, is that I have so much more data um, than that I simply didn't have 30 years ago. Um, you know, we we as a business collect 50 to 100,000 lines of data every single week on our customers, and, and therefore. You know, if, if I think back to my days of working with TNS to look at penetration frequency and average rate of purchase, you know, which was effectively claimed and, and you know, whether it was right or wrong yet, the truth is now I know exactly what my actives numbers are, how that splits in customer cohorts, what their frequency is, you know, if I do this, what happens, but I never had any of that. And so. I think that the balance for me as a marketeer is making sure that you retain all of the wonderful things that we have been doing as marketeers for many years, which is really, really getting to the heart of what a consumer needs and wants, and also getting to the beating heart of your brand and, and what it can offer to that consumer. Just doing it in an incredibly smarter way, if you want, because of all the data Um, that we have and all the digital capabilities that that have just evolved over that period of time.
0: Mm. I mean, in many ways, how you described it, seems to me anyway, like it's the same as it ever was in many ways. But this question of uh, data, let me ask you two follow-ups on that. Does a marketer, when you're sitting opposite one and uh, looking to recruit for your team, um, how much emphasis are you putting on data skills, analytic capability, given the fact that there is such a a plethora of data and so many opportunities uh, in that data to better serve customers, as you quite rightly say, is central to the point of what you do.
1: I think it's a brilliant question. I actually, because actually the conclusion I've reached, rightly or wrongly, but it works for my organization, is that I split the skill set. I think that the people who are highly motivated by drawing insight out of, you know, rows and rows of data uh, are best doing that job brilliantly. And I've got some of the most amazing data capabilities and, uh, and you know, data scientists and analysts in the team that really can extract uh, that, that great insight. And what I also need uh, is creative geniuses. Um, I need people who can take that insight and turn it into, a, you know, social and PR and campaigns that we would never have got without that creative genius that, that are able to work with the BCCP agencies of this world brilliantly to create, some, you know, a- amazing work that, that that will connect emotionally with consumers. So my, my personal reflection is that whilst... You know, you you, you you don't want a creative person that has no appreciation of data. They need to have an appreciation of data and be able to use it. And you don't necessarily need a data person that thinks that this is never going to see the light of day in terms of action. You, you need a little bit of both, but 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 the teams are relatively separate in my organisation.
0: Mm. Oh, can you learn these things, do you think? I mean, I'm guessing you've had to embrace, yes, and willingly by the signs of things, embrace the data opportunity. How... Have you sat down and sort of thought, you know, I need to make myself data capable now, or is that something that you always had in your locker, perhaps it wasn't needed as much, say, fifteen years ago?
1: The thing I always say to my team is you need a black belt. You need a black belt in something, right? And that, that's got to be where your your spike of excellence as you drive your career forward as a marketeer. I'm an innovator. That that's my black belt and I, I've been an innovator for you know, many years during my career and I I still absolutely passionately love the subject today, but actually you you, you do, you, you have to learn, you have to evolve and, and, you know, I'm not sure that you'd get to very senior levels of an organization without a good, cap- good capability to learn these subjects and uh, an appreciation or you know, all of those things are really, really important. And actually as a CMO in today's world, if you if you weren't very very fluent in the world of digital and data you'd struggle to operate at this level but, but 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 actually you know you can invest in that learning during your career and and make sure that you continue to build your skill set that's my view
0: and there's no shortage of martech consultants are going to be knocking on your door uh, <laughs> to help you out uh but i mean the the, the thing is i'm uh, with data this was gonna be my second or well, is my second question around uh, data and how it's changed the game because yes, there is there's an avalanche of it and every year there's more and more because more people are moving online in a company like Domino's obviously you've got where well, you're blessed with lots of first party data, but having it and doing something with it, turning it into insight is 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 a skill. I mean it was to watch out. You know, what's the watch out that you've learned from perhaps bitter experience when it comes to data? Uh, Because it's not the silver bullet to all marketing's challenges, of course. So what do you need to do to turn it into?
1: Honestly, the the first thing, well, the thing that we've been doing, which I think is at the heart of it, is actually getting the right capability into your organization talent. It's all about the talent. And the talent that you recruit into this field and not necessarily, as I said, the talent that you recruit to develop your next big and, you know, brand building campaign is that they're very, they come from different industries. What what we've found is that if you look at industries like uh, travel, booking, if you look at online retail, um, uh, betting, that they, they've been doing this for many more years and therefore, they've effectively developed that skill set brilliantly in their organisations. And, and therefore, if you go hunting for good talent for your organisation, they're the industries. They are the industries that we go to to find our best talent. And, and I think, and and then my my other observation is that you know that the the the, the data journey, the data land, the insight that comes out of it is not my job. It's a leadership team's job, because the the data. Is as much likely to say that um, you know a pizza that arrives hot is the greatest driver of consideration. Arrives hot means that we need to deliver in under twenty-five minutes, and these cohorts of stores are doing this. These cohorts of stores are not doing it. You know, the data is not is not a marketing thing; it's an organisational way of operating. And I think you know, to, to your very specific question about what the pitfalls are for me, those would be the two biggest ones. Is thinking you can have a go without the right capability in the organisation. And secondly, making it the remit of a few as opposed to making it just a way of operating across the whole leadership team and the whole organisation.
0: And when it comes to upskilling, she talked about getting staff in from sectors, categories that are particularly progressed and smart uh, when it comes to the use of data. Um, But presumably it's a job of upskilling existing staff. as
1: well. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And I think that, the, again, the learning in that for me is that you've got to also have people that can make the complex simple because with that amount of data, you can get totally lost in the detail and actually not get any insight out of it that's actionable. And therefore, it's very interesting but of no use to us in growing this brand. And therefore, you know, those people have got to have the ability to make the complicated simple. And in that way, you effectively upskill the organization. You know, that there is not a meeting now that I sit in where you know, anybody, my social team, my innovation team, um, that, that, that our, you know, operations team wouldn't be talking about active consumers, loyal consumers, you know, frequency, all of the things that 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 you know we have become much more fluent in as an organization. So I think it's our role to upskill, not just by sending people on courses, we can do that. But I think it's more about just making it the language of the organization and you start small and you grow.
0: Mm. It's a cultural thing as well as a structural and a, and a training and development issue. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I've come back to Dominic. You talked a little bit about uh, your current job and some of the things that you're uh, prioritizing. Um, because Domino's is on a bit of a roll at the moment, I think, according to your last half year results, your revenue increased by almost 20%. Now, uh, some of that is down to uh, inflation and a few other factors, uh, but much of it is down to customers coming and coming more often. Um, but that wasn't necessarily the case, just uh, perhaps even just a few years earlier, Um I'm reading this from, I think it was the IPA paper, uh, that during lockdown you were losing orders and market share uh, reflecting the rapid growth of people like Deliveroo and other rivals that were advertising pretty heavily. Now, you at that point introduced uh, a brand campaign uh, featuring a very distinct Sonic asset in the Yodel and brand metrics improved. Orders were 2.7 million higher, according to that APA paper. And market share experienced rapid growth. Now, we can't all put, or well, we shouldn't put everything down to advertising. I'm sure there were a lot of other factors. But talk to me about uh, that campaign. And talk to me about, I suppose, its origin story.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, actually. I take myself back to two and a half years. So I joined Domino's in the middle of COVID. And, um and we were c- likely to come out that summer. And at the time, genuinely, we, we were scared and we were scared because when everybody else closed down and we stayed open. And so we carried on feeding the country, you know, with the takeaway. I remember that, uh, hearing the stories, I wasn't in the business at the time of that first Friday of lockdown where literally our systems went down because the whole country was trying to give themselves a treat to, um, you know, because they were, they were locked at home. But we were really scared. We were scared because uh, we had, you know, would they therefore rush back out to restaurants and pubs? Would they associate us with lockdown food? Would they bored? Because, uh, you know, that's the one thing that they had had as a treat. We didn't know. And so we were really scared. And so we spent a lot of time back to our previous conversation. was so just, just listening to them, actually, just, you know, good old-fashioned core groups listening to them and and actually listening to them, not just about what they thought about Dominoes, but what they thought about life and, and, and effectively, I always think that the, the big insights of, um, that we heard is that they were desperate to get back out and to see their friends and families. Like they were really desperate. Uh, and, and, and and they they wanted to do that and they wanted to have, you know, their friends around and stuff, but they didn't want to be stuck in the kitchen because actually they'd been doing that. For, you know, they just wanted to be with the people they loved. And. The other, the really interesting insight for us is that they were quite proud of their homes. Like we'd all been painting our fences and cleaning our windows and making our gardens look So People were actually quite proud of their homes. And, and so what we found is that there was an opportunity for us to almost build on those three insight territories and, and become associated with the food of reunions and to establish ourselves as the food of reunions. And, and so that was the brief. That was the brief. And we got all of our agencies together and said, you know, we could be really scared about what's about to happen to us, or we could go for it and, and associate ourselves with that. What we also knew, however, is that every other brand was about to go back advertising. So the media landscape was awkward, like the costs were soaring, couldn't get the availability you needed, and this was working where so we were like, all right, we're going to have to do something that is you know, disproportionately noisy, disproportionately cut through where and that really establishes ourselves and um, as the food of lockdown. And and, and out of all of that uh, is is where the Yodel campaign started it, its life. It was about you know somebody calling their mates to come back round uh, and and celebrate with them the fact that they now could. And, and and we took that campaign right through the line. We we worked with our brilliant franchisees and uh, almost uh, yeah, massively supercharged the spend. Uh, condensed it into a short period of time so we would make a lot of noise and 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 just ran it right through um every single kind of traditional and performance channel and and we you know we, we tried different types of communication like the blipverts where we were coming in and out of the ad breaks for a few seconds yeah we, we work with the media owners to just try all sorts of different things working with different influencers and 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 i think that that, that what it showed us is that, you know, whilst we got, we, 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 you know, we annoyed a few people. We did. You should have seen some of the messages I was getting in the morning from some of our customers <laughs> annoyed with our yodel We annoyed a few, but the majority loved us and really noticed us. And and that post COVID uh, um, period uh, delivered significantly better than, than, than we thought it had. And, you know, and it wasn't a nightmare, but it was actually much better than we even thought it had been. So yeah, the the yoda worked for us. And it was a it was a great campaign, great platform for us. It really worked, and, and and actually the learning in it as well is that 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 sonic branding to cut through um, is really powerful. Um, so we you know you'll see in our subsequent work and work that we're just about to put out there that we're trying to maintain that that consistent uh, that consistent sonic branding. And I think in a you know. HFSs world where there's more, you know, more caution around the messages that you put out around some foods. That sonic branding will have a, a really important role to play for us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I suppose just uh, I was uh, smiling when you were recalling how annoyed some people were, or how it might have uh, annoyed a couple of people. But I suppose that salience and salience builds memorability and and mental availability. Um, and obviously, you've got a very distinct sonic brand asset that people are gonna recall i note that um well elements of it will continue and you have continued out of pandemic uh with the majority of uh those uh restrictions that uh, now behind us so
1: that it's probably my biggest philosophy in marketing and branding and it's actually what i learned from cadbury days you know at its essence i I believe as a marketeer, you, you babysit a brand for a few years and, and hopefully leave it in a better shape than when you found it. And you don't reinvent it. You know, the, 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 the reason that brand was successful, the roots of authenticity, the things that they did back then, if it's a brand with heritage, that's the beating heart of the brand. So what you do is you take that and you polish it and you make it better. You don't reinvent and, and, and that is the same philosophy that I use in marketing. I spend a lot of time talking to people about it's the same thing told a thousand times in a thousand slightly different ways, but you just maintain consistency, you know, that, that you, you don't mess with brands and you try and get to something that drives salience and excitement and you just keep going at it. That, that's what I think builds emotional connections with consumers. It's, yeah, it's probably my biggest health belief.
0: In terms of connections, uh, you mentioned it. Uh, earlier, I was looking again at your half-year results and noted that uh, you have 7.9 million active app customers. I don't know if that's a lot at uh, myself, but what I do know and understand and does resonate is that was up 46% on the first half a year ago. So you are growing quickly and that offers personalization opportunities, uh, promotions, more one-to-one conversations Uh, so it isn't just about brand obviously you've got a a brand platform in yodel but you've also got that opportunity uh, to execute in more performance related ways and have those one-to-one conversations so talk to me about the balance the importance of striking a balance between brand and performance
1: yeah and and again that is relatively data-led um with some art put on top of it as well but we work with an econometric modeling agency ubiquity and um, really clearly define what will deliver kind of short term roi versus long term what the split between those two things are um between brand and 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 performance and, and that's what we use effectively to 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 media map out so I think the if you then look at when we've got to the amount of money that we spend through those channels why app um, because actually you can prove out that the lifetime value of consumers on the app is 27% more than those on the web and that's because uh, exactly to your point we can have a much more intimate conversation with them um, and you know make sure that we're serving them deals that are relevant to them, products that are relevant to them, making their journey you know, much simpler um, when they're with us and, and therefore they come back more frequently. It's a, It's as simple as that so yeah, the, the, the split of media is data-led and, um, and then, you know, the push to app is data-led again, which is we, we, we will generate more value from those customers if if we have that intimacy of relationship with them.
0: Mm. Uh, presumably, and it sounds anyway in the way that you've just described how you do balance brand and performance, you are a, an advocate of the long and the short of it, that you can't just operate one-on-one and via personalization, you need to that brand element as well
1: 100 and actually it still probably skews more to brand than to performance um, in our world the, the one thing i would love to see is i'm i'm yet to find a, a partner that can really truly help me understand long-term brand impact of spend it, it's still relatively short term with the uh, you know, best practice having worked with other businesses applied as a factor. So, th- there's just something in that for me that we do need to understand because if not, I'm not sure the balance would always be in favor of brand. And I do think saliency, emotional connection, you get that through big brand advertising. You need to convert the sales for your performance channels, but you need, because if not, you might be better for the next three, four months, but five years down the line, you will have lost that connection with your consumers. So, I, I'd love to, to 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 find a partner that can really help us understand better the long-term impact of, of of some of the spend choices that we make. And
0: That's um, for all the people in that world in the data analytics world. That seems to be a challenge that Sarah's offering you. Um,
1: Definitely, yeah.
0: you can get in touch with the <laughs> violin team and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I've just I've just made sure that you've got. Tens and tens of pitches in your, uh, <laughs> in your messages now. Um, anyway, that aside, let's talk about customer experience, which, um, I know, uh, Domino's and, and you put a lot of emphasis on, it can mean many things to many people, um, and it can be a bit vacuous and a bit nebulous, uh, in many ways, or at least I think so, uh, what does it mean? What does, what does customer experience mean? in the context of Domino's and and how do you deliver it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, ultimately customer experience for me is any relationship that the customer has with your brand whether that be the relationship they have through the communications above the line, through the digital channels when they're ordering, you know, it, it, it can be any one of those things. Like the two most important customer experience points and um, for us, uh, the digital journey, um, like I said, so you know the, 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 simple, the most simple and frictionless experience will drive a, a better return for us. And then there's a huge amount of work that we do, especially on our app, but also on web, just to make sure that the customer experience through that process is as seamless as it possibly can be. And that, yeah, if you're a new customer, we're telling you what other people like to buy. If you're a repeat customer... We're offering you discounts on things that you might want to add to your basket. Yeah, really making sure that that customer experience is really, is really seamless. But to be honest, back to the, a little bit like traditional versus new forms of marketing, that I also think that customer experience is certainly in our world, the most important part of it is service. You know, the biggest driver of consideration when I look at my data is my pizza arrives hot. And arrives hot means I've got to deliver it in under 25 minutes and I've got to ring that doorbell and there's got to be, you know, a, a driver that's smiling and bare traffic. That is a massive part of our customer experience. And therefore, whilst the, the journey through the digital product, understanding them in the first instance, the di- journey through the digital product critical, that service element is, is key. For a retail organization like us that delivers, and it'll be true for Just Eat, for delivery, for Uber, you know. But 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 never forget just the importance of that human connection when somebody t- turns up at your door and and hands you a product. It is critical to our success.
0: Hot pieces on the doorstep aside, what does success look like for you as a, a senior member of the Domino's team? What 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 are others judging your impact by?
1: literally growth growth uh, it, it, it's it's you know active customers times frequency it's just growth that if i look at the the, um, the penetration in the country if i look at our frequency versus some of the other domino's markets around the world or if i compare it to my competitors and we spend a lot of time understanding and um, we've got really big headroom so whilst we grow and we grow significant we're growing significantly at the moment we have got massive headroom and i think that's our job to just go and access that growth, um, and 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 yeah, do so through all the things that we've talked about, delighting consumers, offering the things that they want us to do, making sure that our customer journeys are seamless. Set, but but it's all about growth. And I think the 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 other success um, criteria that I set myself as a CMO is, and I've talked a little bit about this, but is having the right talent talent for me is is a massive part of my job if I can get like I talked about black belts in all of the functions that I need to have black belts in this business will grow the opportunity is there we're doing really well we just need the right people super excited about the experience that we can give them the development that we can give them and we will grow but that is the 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 measure um, of success for me
0: if there's one thing that you would identify that really excites you about the opportunities for, say, the next five years at Domino's, what would it be?
1: I think we've still got a long way to go on um, store openings. Um, you know, there are many parts of the country that we still don't serve. Even, you know, with our top stores, there's still much more that we can go at. So, and, and, and therefore, I think, you know, going into these locations, opening up brilliantly, find in a new group of consumers that we can connect with emotionally and build those relationships, build that lifetime value. That, that, that's genuinely where I think the opportunity comes. I, I think it's, you know, it, it's just getting, you know, doing all of the things that we're doing, but doing it on a much larger scale um, with that new consumer cohort. That, that's, that's what we're trying to do.
0: More of the same, but better. Almost disarmingly simple.
1: And you know what? The thing I spend a lot of time thinking about is we sell pizza. We're not saving lives. We sell pizza. And therefore, the more complicated we make our pricing structures, the more complicated we make our cons to understand and our journeys on our digital because it's clever to do it quite this way. I think the more alienating that is for a consumer because they just want a pizza on a Friday night. And, and so, it's probably another one of my mottos just just keep it really simple and remember the consumers that we're talking to and remember the market that we're in we're not saving lives.
0: What keeps you awake at night what's the uh, what's the headwind that you're most concerned about say over the next few years?
1: Right now it's we you know how much deeper do we go in this cost of living crisis um, and how do we navigate through uh, you know everybody will be seeing. The things that we're seeing, um, you know, large chunks of the country can no longer afford, um, treats, um, there is an ongoing consumer confidence issues and therefore people protecting money for, for other things. And I understand it, but I totally understand that. Um, and therefore the way we grow at the moment is, is a share game. It is a share game. Um, you know, we're just trying to do better than everybody else, be more salient, be more personalized, uh, you know better at serving under 25 minutes but 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 the truth is it's a tough market out there and i think the the consumer confidence coming back um you know headline prices coming you know potentially coming down because input costs come back down Uh, you know a move away from the world we're in right now i think allows us to accelerate even faster um, that the growth of this business, it can't just be about share. It also needs to be about uh, just a, a, a growing pie. Um, and you know, we, we are still see the markets back into growth now, just, and um, but that's because values up as opposed to volume. Um, you know, and that's because of inflation. Um, and so that's the thing that, that just keeps me awake at, at night. Um, and, and just the only other thing that keeps me awake at night, and it does keep me awake at night is a, Everybody else is in a similar position to me as a CMO. So they're all looking at the changing world and how, you know, data and all the digital is exploded. And therefore, we're in a fight for that talent. And that talent, um, you know, younger coming through the organizations and not necessarily motivated by the same things that we were motivated about when we started work, which is, you know, do I get a car and how much for salary? Are they Are motivated by other things? Actually, a lot of the things they're motivated by are quality of work. And therefore, if you give them really good quality work, be that, you know, our communications team, quality, sustainability agenda to drive through, or whether that be, you know, loyalty schemes that, um, you know, whatever the quality work is, that's what motivates them. And therefore, you've got to, whilst you keep it simple, you've got to keep the quality of the work good, because that's what keeps these people motivated and wanting to, to, to help you navigate through the tricky waters that we're in at the moment.
0: I have to say, I've always been a bit skeptical when I've uh, read data, at least, not whilst speaking to people, but read data. And there's lots of research out there that says that, let's call them millennials for shorthand, or perhaps Gen Z or the older end of Gen Z, if they're actually in the workforce at the moment, do demand different things in so many ways and shapes and forms from brands in particular. But when they're assessing the role and the company that they want to work for but you you can report from the front line that uh, that there is a difference in attitude there's different motivations there is different uh, demands of employers that people perhaps and you're right to identify me as maybe slightly older with different motivations uh, but you've seen it you you can report that it is different
1: 100%, do you know what, I've done a couple of interviews this morning, actually, for people who are looking to join, this is very rare that I don't get asked about, uh, you know, our, our approach to sustainability um, in interviews today. When I ask people at the end, any questions for us, what can I tell you about our organisation? Yeah, you know, so often now they want to understand that, yes, they're joining an organization that's all about growth and uh, that there's going to be brilliant opportunities to develop their careers and you know do good work but they also want to know that we're doing it in the right way um and and that for me is is, is a total seismic shift from from you know if I think literally even just 10 15 years ago it is very very different um they are genuinely interested in understanding our you know our attitudes to uh, diversity equity and inclusion they want to know that that we're concerned about healthier eating and how that's going to evolve over time. And, you know, what, what's our approach to, 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 net zero, they, they're really interested in, in, these subjects. And I, I think that's brilliant because that generation coming through will just make us to and better as organizations, because if they're thinking it, our consumers are thinking it, and therefore, you know, we need to be doing the right thing by our consumers, by our employees, really critically important.
0: To the. Be- title of the podcast it's much I learned if there is one thing and Sarah that uh, you've learned in your years in marketing your career today that you think others perhaps could learn from even if it's a cautionary tale what would that be
1: if I can I know I'm repeating myself slightly but just repeat the story about don't think you can reinvent a brand I I go into every role, whether it's at Boots, not so much at Boots, I was young then, but I remember when I became the global brand director on Cadbury and, and, and then again at Costa Coffee and, and then again at Domino's is understand and respect the past and understand where people have been and, 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 you know, the, how they've built this brand over time and therefore what those roots of authenticity are and and how you need to stay absolutely consistent with those so you know all those years at Cadbury the fun at the fundamental heart of Cadbury was generosity was the fact that you know that glass and a half promise generosity generosity in the way it spoke generosity in the products it offered generosity and you know in, in the choice it, it it's a generous brand and you had to respect that and you had to respect the founders of that brand and what they built and you know, ultimately, Domino's originally was built on 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 just amazing service. You know that that pizza arriving hot, and uh, and and the fact that crowd pleasing moment when the doorbell rings. You've got to respect that. And I think that as as a marketer, and I remember in the early phase in Boots, you know, you you were taught how to have developed brand propositions and you know new position and and you'd go after that. And and the reality is, if you've got a new brand, that's great. But if you've got a an existing brand, just respect. And and I think you you know, building on what already exists will always be more successful than just trying to reinvent. And I think that that does take humility, which is why it took me a while to learn it. Um and and yeah, and, and not everybody wants to do that, right? Everybody wants to do things. Some people want to do things just differently or want to launch new brands, or but but actually if you're working with an existing brand, just respect the past would be my cautionary tale. <laughs>
0: Understanding, uh, I guess, the the DNA and then remaining consistent uh, whilst evolving. I mean, they're wise words and a great way uh, to finish today. Uh, Thank you, uh, Sarah Barron, for sharing your thoughts on the world of marketing and uh, your career to date. Uh, Appreciate uh, your time today. You have been listening to this much, I learned. Brought to you by Marketing Week and presented by me, Russell Parsons, and produced by Georgie Chantrell. You can listen to previous episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Until next time, goodbye.